0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the football league covered. Hello and welcome to episode 143 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley, David Cameron Walker. Hello. Hello. How are you, mate? You well? Um, Very well, Yeah. So that pre-season optimism, everybody that me and uh, DC always have, sort of uh, mm-hmm. late July, early August, check this out. Between our two teams, Bury and Watford, uh, the record in the last eight games reads as follows. Played eight, won zero. Drawn, zero. Lost, zero. 8, goals 4, uh, 4, goals against 14. Happy Christmas, everyone. <laughs> the
1: wheels are officially off. What on earth is going on? Well, we played quite well at the weekend, from what I hear, actually, against Cardiff. And just, unfortunately, one of those games where we couldn't score. I was at the game against Derby the week previous, though, and didn't play that well for, for all the game. We little spells where you show what we can do when we're, when we're on it. But ultimately, Derby were just about the better side and two fantastic finishes from... Jordan Ivan from um, Craig Bryson to give them what was probably just about a deserved victory but um, it's so tight at the moment I suppose the evidence of maybe the lack of quality or how competitive or whatever you want, whichever way you want to put it of this division this season is that we've lost four in a row and we're only down in seventh still you know only a couple of points off the, off the top what's, two
0: what's the opposite of a manager of the month because that is the award that would be given out to uh, Messrs, mm. Flitcroft and Jukanovic uh, for the last few weeks what's going on with you then? oh I don't know we'll get onto it later let's, let's save it for later in the show um, the best month of the, the football season has arrived December uh, when the games come flying uh, thick and fast and if you're not feeling festive already I've got here. I, I've got that. <laughs> now I didn't know that was still a thing. And um, my phone ran out of battery last night—a very long bus journey. So I bought that. Do you want to explain what that is? You bought it. I did buy it. What time? Uh, quite late. Where the, did you get it from? The match of the day. Christmas magazine issue I was, I was with you last night it was just like two in the morning yeah I didn't know this was still on where did you get it from a news agency. Yeah, it's like a co-op yeah. Um, uh, so it features uh, footballers Christmas carols Sergio Aguero mocked up as Santa Brendan Rodgers mocked up as a donkey and your favourite and I, I text you this or whatsapp you uh, where is it Paz and Bez's uh, incredibly hearty sprouty and farty Christmas party which to quote you is the worst sentence ever spelt in the history of human communication do you still stand by that today? <laughs> I do absolutely yeah. awful and there's also a load of tat here including the worst football whistle in the world which I don't know why I've dropped it so it's down here have a listen to it. this that's all I've got. Oh, Jesus. So, um, yeah, they, Come on, there's, one, there's one to get for the, uh, for the kids this Christmas. A um, couple of bits to get through. It's the FSF Awards tonight. It's one year since we met Luis Suarez. He tried to persuade me yeah. to sign for Watford. We were cruelly mm-hmm. overlooked. This year. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's a bit of a shame.
1: But Good luck, though, to oh, well, some some many friends who were there tonight, Indeed. friends of the show. Uh,
0: if you do want to uh, help us out, though, um, you can make us feel better by going to
1: audible.co.uk.
0: So, I've done it audible.co.uk slash going up. Uh, sign up for a completely free audiobook on us, or you can go to wearegoingup.co.uk slash paddy power. Uh, because if you go there and sign up, you get a 20 quid free bet if you set up an account and bet a fiver. Perfect for a flutter on the football. And while we're talking about free stuff,
1: DC, what do we have to give away on the show this week? We have three copies of the new Football Manager game, Football Manager 2015, which has just recently come out. Uh, Excellent. I can vouch for its quality as ever a fantastic game and we're going to give three copies we are, away so uh, <laughs> keep listening for that we'll set you a question later we should say by the way apologies for the
0: sort of lack of shows we are working on a special project at the minute for Christmas so we are doing stuff but you're just not hearing it yet that will all become evident in a few weeks time on this show today we need to talk a little bit about Malky Mackay and Dave Whelan getting himself into all kinds of bother uh, Paul Cox has left Mansfield we'll touch on that we've got um, a busy one in terms of guests as well Mark Halliwell author of the uh, blog Cheltenham Town chatter and co for BBC Radio Gloucester. She'll be on later. The Robins drew 1-1 with Oxford uh, on the weekend. They are 17th in League 2. They've got themselves a new manager in the shape of Paul Buckle, who has swapped New York for Cheltenham in the process. More on that later. Uh, we'll get Mark's opinion on his appointment and the sacking uh, of Mark Yates. Uh, we'll also be joined uh, on the phone later by solicitor and sports lawyer Daniel G, who edits the football law publication On the Ball, uh, because um, well, it's all going on at Leeds, isn't it? Massimo Cellino uh, has been disqualified uh, by the Football League in the latest twist and he's been asked to resign because new documents obtained from an Italian court show he's been found to breach its fit and proper ownership test. Uh, so more on that with Dan in a bit, uh, but we are going to start uh, on the pitch, thankfully. One of the Football League's most uh, surprising success stories, I'd say, this season. Uh, Ipswich Town, the Tractor Boys, uh, remember playing their 13th consecutive season in the Championship and they're currently second in the table after an unbeaten November which culminated in that last gasp 1-0 win at Charlton on Saturday lunchtime thanks to a goal by new side. Noel Hunt right at the death. So, with a squad that cost just 10 grand to assemble, how on earth is Mick McCarthy pulling this off? Let's find out by speaking to Stuart Watson, who is the Ipswich reporter for the East Anglian Daily Times and Evening Star. And Stuart is on the line and he joins us right now. Stuart, thank you very much for coming on the show. The last time we had you on was back in October 2012 when Paul Jewell was sacked and Ipswich were bottom of the championship with just one win from 12 league games. Two years later, and it's been quite a turnaround.
2: Yeah, it feels like a long time ago now. I can't remember exactly the conversation we had uh, last time, but um it would have been very different to the one we're having now. It's um it's easy to forget how bad things were towards the end of the Paul Jewell era. Just just mentioned there rock bottom of the table, off the pitch things were were a little bit messy and two years on it's uh, it's all changed and i think Mick McCarthy has to take
1: full credit for all of that it has been gradual process really it hasn't been obviously two years as you say since mccarthy took over and it wasn't like he came in and immediately overnight everything was solved and he hasn't had a lot of money to to work with you know mm. hardly any money's been spent on this team but gradually he's got that team that he wants and you know this this season in a division that is really really tight you know that it, it could be a team you know, an unexpected team that could take advantage of that this season and could end up being even in the top two, let alone the playoffs.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And it's, um, you know, you said there about it being a slow build. I've, I've called it a few times in the newspaper, sort of a bit of a quiet revolution, really, I think. It has just, you know constant forward steps in the right direction. Um, There was a lot of behind the scenes stuff and Mick McCarthy soon worked out the players he wanted to move on and he's slowly moulded things to to his way of of doing it and um, as you say I think this year looking at how it's panning out no team's really taken the, the division by the scruff of the neck in the way Leicester did last year and you start to think that somebody could, uh, you know, like it, which could could sneak into those top two.
0: Is it too early to, to call that? You know, is this going to be a proper promotion push? Or, I mean, how do you see it playing out?
2: Um, I have to say, at the start of the season, I thought Ipswich might be dark horses for the top six at best, and they had a bit of a slow start, and you began to worry if, if they would be sort of just on the cusp of things, but the last few weeks, the way they've beaten teams like Watford and Wolves at home, they've gone and drawn a very good Bournemouth side, one last gasp at Charlton at the weekend. You, you have to start taking top two seriously, I think, as the weeks go by, because there's a said before I don't see two standout teams that are going to run away with it and so yeah why, why not dream the top two that's the way the players are talking about it at the moment so yeah it's, it's looking it could be a possibility
1: uh, as we said Mick McCarthy's hardly spent a penny certainly in transfer fees uh, on this team getting a lot of free transfers in uh, a few loans here and there um I think the owner Marcus Evans probably had his hands burnt after some of the extravagant spending of, of of previous managers, and obviously the club needs to be well run and you know balance the books and all that. So the spending's been reined in, but now is is it a time to maybe open the purse strings a little bit in January and you know given the position that the team find themselves in, you know bring in a little bit of an extra quality to give them that boost, or, or does the team not need that? Is it better to keep keep going with what they've got?
2: yeah it's the million dollar question I think among supporters at the moment they think that as well as Mick's done to get them into position into this position on such a limited budget I think at the moment Tyrone Mings is the only player in the starting 11 that cost anything and he was 10 grand from a non-league club and they're now talking about 10 million to Premier League clubs for him so that shows you the sort of hidden gem that that they've managed to uncover Um,
0: he's been linked with Arsenal hasn't he this week Tyrone Mings yeah he's
2: been linked with Arsenal Uh, I know that Pat Rice from from Arsenal is watching him every game at the moment. Joe Royal's a big admirer, exit twitch manager up at Everton now, Chelsea, his dad AD works for Chelsea, so as a scout, so they'll know all about him. Um, it's just an incredible success story with Tyrone. I mean, sorry, I know we're uh, going down a different route to what we were discussing, but I mean, he he has sort of epitomised what what McCarthy's done in the in the transfer market. So, yeah, now now they find themselves in a position that heading into January, if they're in this sort of position, do do they go out and and really give themselves a, a good chance in the second half of the season? Of course, the balancing act is this team's been built very heavily on. On team spirit and hard graft and players working for each other and and sometimes if you go out and, and sign someone for decent money decent wages are they going to fit into what what McCarthy's forged so far so that will be the balancing act come January I think
1: looking at the goals and and the ability of the team to to score goals you've got Daryl Murphy and David McGoldrick up front um, Players that, you know, Goldrick had a good season last season, um, but they've never been prolific throughout their careers, really. Murphy, especially, but he's got, mm. uh, you know, he's into double figures already this season, so they're, they're coming good now. But can can they be relied upon, do you think, to, to get you up and really make you a challenger? Or do you think, perhaps, obviously, I know you brought in Noel Hunt recently, but again, he's a player not the greatest record in front of goal in terms of the stats. Um, is there maybe more firepower that could be needed in January?
2: Um, I think they would maybe look at that area of the team, but certainly not for the the lack of ability or or quality from McGoldrick and Murphy. I think probably in terms of a front two, they're as as good as there is in this division. But I think they might need a bit of extra depth in that position, that's for sure. Because if if one of those two that we've just been mentioning were to get injured, they're a little bit light on the ground in that front. Noel Hunt's come in, I think they'll probably use him more as a utility man out wide or just behind the strikers um, but beyond those those two you've got uh, Connor Salmon who's on loan from Derby, I think he's probably more of an, an impact sub, someone who can work hard and see a game out and, and Balint Beiner who's a Hungarian striker they signed in the summer from Dortmund and he's not quite had the impact they hoped so, so maybe they would look to bring someone in as a a striker in January but um, no it's interesting you were just talking about uh, McGoldrick and Murphy's previous reputations I think McCarthy uh, has got players in that fans of former clubs have said well why are you signing him Um, Christoph Berra Wolves fans were saying similar things about him and and Luke Chambers wasn't a fan's favourite of Forrest and likewise McGoldrick so McCarthy seems to have this record of getting players that Maybe you know the outside footballing world look at as very average players, and he, and he somehow takes them up a
0: level. So, well, surely not uh, bringing in Noel Hunt, kind of you know, is a perfect example of that. Because I've got the stats here for Leeds, he played where one thousand one hundred sixty-one minutes, no goals. Ipswich, <laughs> seven minutes, one goal. Um, he'd been, what, he hadn't scored for two years. There was a bit of sort of back and forth with him in the press up there, and then he comes to Ipswich straight away, last minute winner.
2: It's incredible. It just there's something about the atmosphere that they create up there, and it, they're definitely the, the whole is um, worth more than some of their parts. That's for sure. He turns very average players and, and manages to to, uh, to turn them into a team. and And I think the players would admit themselves that they're not the most talented in, in the division, but somehow the, the way they sort of click together, it's uh, it's creating something special. And, and already we're getting comparisons with the way Burnley went up in second last year. You know, they had a very good front too, and then. Uh, a team, a fairly unfancied team, but um, in the Championship, hard graft and team spirit takes you quite a while, I think.
1: At times in the past, certain sections of the footballing world... Fans and press alike have always been fans of Mick McCarthy's football. A uh, very effective manager. He's got teams out of the Championship on more than one occasion, but not always really managed to excel in the Premier League. Uh, how the I mean, Obviously, the success of the team will speak volumes at the moment, but how have the fans taken Tim in terms of his style as a manager? I think...
2: Probably, in the summer, that was the the big question mark. I think everyone assessed what he'd done in the way that he you know came in, steadied the ship, kept them up in the first season last year took them to the next level, finished ninth but the one big question mark was the style of play and um, it was very physical, very functional direct at times wasn't always great to watch I have to say as someone who went to every game home and away um, and the fear was if you know if they were to continue to bob around in mid-table playing that style of football it wasn't going to attract the fans back to Portman Road um, I have to say this season I, I think they have evolved as a team in terms of playing style, they had Johnny Williams Back on loan from Crystal Palace who's a you know very skillful talented player, Teddy Bishop has come through from the academy he's in in that same sort of mold. Tyrone Mings, who we've touched upon is you know an exciting left back who bombs forward, so they have got more to their play and um, opposition managers still come out and and talk about how you know they would kick off the park and physical long ball football but I have to say I think they're a bit more than
0: that this year um, I'm just looking uh, you mentioned the finish ninth last season I'm just looking back at Ipswich's previous finishes in the championship so if we start sort of with last season first ninth, 14th 15th 13th 15th 9th 8th 14th 15th um, so I think it's fair to say the fans need something to get excited about yeah. um, because it's been a, a long old run in the same division pretty much in mid-table all the way
2: it has yeah I mean at least with with some teams that have gone down to league one and then and then come back up, we saw it with Southampton and norwich going down and and that was the best thing that happened to them because they then end up getting double promotions, and there has been that debate at times amongst Ipswich fans you know would would even going down to come back stronger have been a good option because the alternative was just bobbing around in mid-table in the championship year after year, and it was a bit of a Groundhog Day scenario, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, as you say, they've been waiting a while to to have something to cheer about. It's his uh, 13th successive season in the championship, longest-serving team in, in the second tier, so it's just nice to have something to... Uh, for the fans to get excited about, that's for sure.
0: And quite a few games coming up, obviously, over the next few weeks with Christmas and New Year, and I'm just looking at the fixtures. Uh, Leeds, who obviously had a good win at the weekend, Bolton are in good form, Middlesbrough in good form, Brentford are in great form. Doesn't get any easier, really.
2: No, it's the old cliche, isn't it? And Nick McCarthy will, will sort of uh, back that one up. He's, he's uh, as pragmatic as they come. Yeah, <laughs> um, so you offer him at any point away from home no matter whether you're playing top or bottom of the division he'll tell you he'll take it without even having to get on the coach if you offered it to him but they've they've got that good formula at the moment they're winning most of their home games uh, picking up good points on their travels and And that tends to be a formula for success, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, they're they're all all big games coming up. I think the challenge now will will change. Um, I think they've flown a little bit under the radar, weren't many people's picks, but now they're up in second. I think you get a bit more of a target on your back and you're you're a scout for other teams. So that's the big test now.
0: And Stuart, just one final question on Mick McCarthy. What's he like as a journalist uh, to work with? I imagine, Mm. is uh, is he one of these guys that just tells it how it is all the time?
2: absolutely yeah <laughs> everyone always asks what's he like and um exactly what you see on the television to be honest um very honest uh very pragmatic as a journalist he's he's not necessarily one that you'll you'll be able to ring up or text during the week and get a few little off the record steers but um likewise he's not going to lead you down any garden paths in his, in his press conferences and you ask him a straight question he'll give you a straight answer and he keeps going, so certainly, with how you word your questions. Um, you know, if you say uh, some people are saying, Nick, that such and such, you know, he'll soon jump on that and say, come on, ask the question properly. And uh, with a few colourful words thrown in as well, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, he's he's, uh, he's a challenge to work with, but but in a good way. And uh, even the put-down begin with a little little smile sometimes <laughs> as well. So, uh yeah, no, he's good
0: fun. Good stuff. Uh, Stuart, great to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on. Cheers, guys. We appreciate it. That is Stuart Watson, uh, Ipswich reporter for the East Anglian Daily Times and Evening Star. Next, we're off to the madhouse to talk about that man again, Massimo Cellino. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the football league covered. <laughs> So on the field, a fantastic 2-0 win for Leeds United against championship leaders Derby County at Ellen Road on Saturday and much needed as well, only their second win in the last 11 games. But it was followed on Monday afternoon by more headlines about the club's owner, Massimo Cellino, a man we talked about a lot on this show. Uh, The Football League announced that Cellino has been disqualified and asked to resign from the club as a result of new documents obtained from an Italian court which had found him guilty of tax evasion. Uh, They now show him to be in breach of the league's uh, fit and proper ownership test which of course he originally failed early this year before getting that decision overturned on appeal so it's a bit of a messy situation uh, because in March next year his conviction will be deemed spent and he'll be able to resume control so is he effectively being asked to step aside for four months let's speak to a solicitor and sports lawyer who can hopefully help us make sense of all this Uh, Daniel G edits the football law publication on the ball and he's provided comment and analysis for the likes of Sky Sports News BBC and CNN in the past and he's on the line right now Uh, Daniel firstly thank you very much for coming on the show let's start with what the Football League have said today Uh, just explain how long Chilino has to get out first of all and what you think the process is going to be from this point onwards
3: yeah well it's and thanks for having me, by the way, as well. It's um, it's quite an unprecedented territory that the football league is um, effectively in now. What they have um, done in, by issuing a press release and linking to um, their decision is effectively validating their original disqualification decision back uh, towards the beginning of this year, where they said that because uh, Cellino had uh, effectively been found guilty of uh, tax evasion for a yacht he didn't pay tax on back in Italy... Um, Um, he was um, effectively disqualified from uh, owning Leeds by way of the owners and directors test. One of the Effective qualifying criteria is that there um, is not an act of dishonesty that uh, effectively prevails in a type of criminal or civil case against an individual. And in this case, um, the way things unraveled really was that um, he was initially disqualified by the Football League Board. Um, he appealed that decision and was successful uh, on the appeal simply because at the time when the appeal happened, the actual Italian court decision wasn't available to um, the one man QC um, who was reviewing the uh, appeal on behalf of uh, Leeds and the Football League, uh, effectively saying that he couldn't tell whether the actual uh, tax evasion offence was a dishonest offence. And until he was able to understand whether the offence was dishonest, i.e., until the actual publication of the Italian court decision. Uh, Cellino wasn't uh, acting uh, in a disqualified manner because the owners and directors' test couldn't be um, found conditional. So, in the end, we've had a hiatus for a number of months while the Football League um, has awaited um, the Italian court decision, which apparently was not forthcoming by Leeds they had to actually apply to the Italian court uh, and as a result now um, after translating the uh, court decision the Football League board has undertaken with legal advice um, their uh, new view that for a second time Cellino um, uh, is effectively disqualified as an owner under the owners and directors test because um, it's deemed that he has failed it because of the dishonest uh, intent. so uh, we're almost back to square one in a sense is taken. A number of months um, to get to where we are, uh, but it now appears, at least anyway, that uh, Chilena will appeal um, this second disqualification decision. Um, and um, I think, because what the judgment says, uh, within the next month or so, we'll know either way what the uh, future holds for Leeds. So I hope that wasn't too long a winded uh, explanation <laughs> of, the, of the last few of um, last few months. We're going
0: around it's, in circles, um, aren't it's we? A tricky one with this yes. whole situation, DC.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky one for the football league because the so-called fit and proper persons test is something that's come under the spotlight a lot of times in the past the league have been criticised a lot for allowing owners to run football clubs that have you know, in the end have been you know disasters birmingham city for example you know the whole blackburn situation etc there's, there's plenty of examples um so they 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 want to be seen to be making the right calls, and we all, we all want um, that for proper persons' test to be carried out as stringently as possible, and the the right people own these you know own the football clubs because ultimately they're they're proud community institutions that need to be looked after. But Leeds are, you know uh, Leeds' defence of people who work at Leeds and have been working with Chilino, despite some of his madcap ways, they will say, well, hang on, he's actually doing some good for the club. You know, he's a bit of an eccentric guy. But if you compare him to some of the people that have owned the club in the past he's actually you know he's he's taking us forward and if the, if the league keep getting challenged on this and keep letting them back in they look weak and it's just a, it's a mess all round
0: and March as well this is the uh, Daniel this is the, the next thing the conviction's going to be spent in March so he could come back then anyway as I understand
3: <laughs> exactly and I think the the, the- troubling issue really in some ways is that um, on one side the football league need to show that uh, they mean business and rightly so they have the owners and directors test there which used to be the fit and proper test um, available um, and to be enforceable should um, situations like this arise and on the other side you have the insistence that um, under the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act um, after a year or um, determinative of the length of time of the potential conviction that it becomes um, a spent conviction i.e. you can't be liable for your actions forever effectively in, in a lot of different ways and, and owning a football club is one of them so you get this quite peculiar situation now where he's disqualified for um, a second time, he may still appeal that and that appeal will end in around a month's time where the final conclusive decision will occur um, and it may only be then that there are three months uh, three month vacuum really um, if the appeal is unsuccessful that Mr Chilino cannot own, control, be a director of um, the football club um, and that very short period of time may well pass quickly or otherwise and may then lead to a situation where he can then uh, re-own or continue to own the club. What is very difficult to understand is how he is going to effectively divest himself. I say it's relatively easy. It's easier... To do, um, to simply um, resign as a director of the club, it's a lot less easy to sell your shares and then rebuy them back a few months later, and or exert any type of influence or control over the club in the interim. That is going to be the very tricky, sort of tight uh, tightrope tight line that um, the Football League is going to have to regulate to ensure that during that period, if he is unsuccessful in the appeal, that there isn't going to be that that grey area where know may still be involved in these in any capacity. And well, that's, 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 real, that that's what I was going
0: to ask you about, because if this appeal is unsuccessful, is there any way that he can sort of stay in charge from the background or is that sort of completely out, you know, that cannot happen?
3: Well, um, by way of somewhat uncharted territory to a degree, um, unless uh, the Football League is going to um, hire investigators to ensure that um, Uh, He, uh, Mr. Chino is not um, acting in any capacity within the the football club. There are provisions in the owners and directors test which prohibit connected parties from him. Uh, So there isn't an indirect way of influence. And there's such provisions to the shadow directorships as well, where he is just putting a puppet in effectively to control the day-to-day runnings but it is actually him that's in the background running things um, I think it's going to be very difficult evidentially to the Football League to try and ensure that um, their regulations are being upheld but they have a very difficult situation that it's not like um, he's going to be disqualified for the next five years and it would seem appropriate that he'd probably need to sell then as a result because the ban would be so long this disqualification is for such a short period of time potentially that, that the club and himself are left in an attack of limbo.
1: He said he's going to buy tickets. To watch the games, if he has to, I mean, could the, could the league stop him from from even doing that? I mean, I mean, and ultimately, you know, what what is their like worst case scenario if he refuses to sell the club or whatever? Can they actually legally make him do that?
3: Well, under the owners and directors test, um, if he um, uh, is disqualified, um, he is not able to own, control, be a director, have direct or indirect influence over. Um, over the club at all, now, if he is simply um going to the club to watch on the stands as a normal spectator, I would see that it would be i can 't see how he would fit into the The realms of influencing or controlling players or the administration by simply turning up um, on the terraces. But the nuclear option, really, as I was explaining a bit earlier this afternoon, was that if, for example, he does he decides not to relinquish control or influence or directorship of Leeds, there is a provision in the in the regulations in in uh, Schedule Three of the of the ODT, which effectively says the football league, in extreme circumstances, can actually withdraw membership to um, a club that continues to be in breach. So that is the nuclear option. I'm not suggesting for one second it will be taken lightly or will in, fact, in effect happen. But there is that power that the football league has should lead and the individuals concerned not comply with um, the disqualification
0: um, decision. You know what
1: Chilino's like? He'd just turn up on the bench, wouldn't he? <laughs> That's the kind of owner he is. <laughs> I was just going to ask. I mean, looking at it, From from your informed point of view, how do you think the football league come out of this? Because ultimately, I mean, you've got a situation here where a man who's failed, so we failed their test twice, but is still owning a football club in the championship one of the biggest I mean, in is, the championship. did you think have the league done everything they can and acted in the best way or they, do they deserve criticism really for how they've handled it or or is it you know they've done everything they can really
3: well the, the difficult situation was that at the time of the Leeds takeover by Mr. Chileno originally and I can't remember the exact timing of things but at least when Chileno bought Leeds United the um, decision as to the tax evasion case um, the actual full written judgment was was certainly not available. So, um, when effectively uh, the Football League came out with its initial announcement that he had uh, been involved in a disqualifying event, i.e., the tax evasion, and he then appealed, um, there wasn't really much the Football League could do apart from wait for the uh, effectively the independent appeals board to come to their decision. And and Mr. Kerr QC's decision was effectively that until we know, until everybody knows what the, the actual written reasons of the judgment are no one can know whether there's been dishonest intent and that's the basis for the qualifying criteria for the owners and directors test so the football league were caught in a limbo situation where they they couldn't prove that there was a disqualifying event until they could actually prove from the written judgment that um, there was uh, dishonesty within uh, uh, a set out in the judgment and that uh, and the disclosure of that judgment of the drafting of it took a number of months and has only really come to light in the last few weeks where then the translation of the judgment happened and they've come to their new but um, seemingly original decision so you know the football league are in a very difficult position I think they've tried hard to try and get this judgment As soon as possible, it failed for a number of reasons. And interestingly, um, part of the Football League decision now um, states that they're actually going to start initiating um, proceeding, regulatory proceedings against Leeds for the non-disclosure of the, the judgment. By reading between the lines, it appears that Leeds weren't too forthcoming in providing the judgment to the Football League, and the Football League actually had to go directly to the Italian authorities to ask for disclosure of it. So um, there's almost a separate um, new um, disciplinary tract um, taking place at the same time as this um, disqualifying appeal as well.
0: Well, the Leeds fans are not massive fans of the Football League anyway, so that's not going to uh, sort of improve relations. We should say, I think Sean Harvey um, sort of abstained, didn't he? Or he was removed from this vote because of his previous connections with Leeds as well. We should uh, make that clear. Uh, Daniel, thanks very much for coming on and uh, explaining all that to us Uh, great to talk to you Uh, that is uh, solicitor and sports lawyer Daniel G who edits uh, the football law publication on the ball and for the final score on football law uh, you can visit Dan's website danielg.com plus Uh, he's at football law on Twitter next on We Are Going Up we're off to Wadden Road the We Are Going Up podcast we've got the football league covered So to Cheltenham Town then, who last week sacked manager Mark Yates after almost five years in charge, uh, that following a run of four successive League Two defeats that left them down in 18th place. Uh, They appointed his successor just a couple of days later, uh, Paul Buckle. And uh, Paul Buckle was in charge for his first game on Saturday, uh, the 1-0 draw at home to Oxford. Earlier on DC, and I spoke to Mark Halliwell, who is the author of the blog Cheltenham Town Chatter, and he's the Cheltenham co-commentator on BBC Radio Gloucestershire as well. And I started by asking Mark to give us his reaction to the events of the last week.
4: Well, first of all, I think it's fair. We must say that it wasn't a complete surprise that Mark Yates left the club. I mean, because since since the playoff final, I mean, he got to the playoff final 2011-12, then the playoff semi-final the following season. And then last season was a really was a very big disappointment for everybody because those two playoff seasons had really heightened the expectation around the club and everybody thought that from then, you know, they could push on and maybe maybe go one better and it just didn't for some reason, whatever reason it was, it just didn't happen last season at all. So there were a lot of supporters who actually thought that Mark should have gone in the summer and that he shouldn't have even been given because his contract ran out at the end of last summer and there was talk during last season that he was going to get a new two-year contract and that turned into a new one-year contract and then his assistant manager Neil Howes left the club and Sean North was brought in to coach alongside him so he was sort of a little bit in the last chance saloon anyway coming into this season. He started the season well, but then nine points from the last 36 of his reign. It was only two wins out of the last 13 games in all. And as you, as you said, four defeats uh, straight away as well. And the last two, five against Stevenage and four one against Wickham. So not really as surprised he was gone. As for Paul Buckle, well, he, he's done okay at this level. I mean, he's done okay at Torquay. He did, he did a decent job there. He got them out of the conference. He got them into the playoff final. And... From what I've spoken to, I've got some friends who who work down there and live down there, and they say that he did a decent job for them. Bristol Rovers didn't go so well for him there. I understand that the Cheltenham chairman spoke to the chairman of Bristol Rovers about Paul Buckle simply because of the concerns about the job that they were worried, maybe what sort of job he'd done there and what sort of thing had happened, and he was told apparently that He was doing okay because they wanted him to make changes and he was making those changes. But apparently, he rather alienated the supporters. And that was more the reason for him leaving Bristol Rovers than anything else. Then he went on to Luton, did okay there. Had about a 50% win record, I think, when he was at Luton. But that's a tough job because getting them out of the conference is a tough tough ask. And then he went off to America. So 300-odd games at this level. He's got good experience. I know that our board... I've always been impressed with him in the past at Torquay especially so all in all not a great surprise but the surprise to many uh, to me in fact uh, was the the haste in which it was done it was done ever so quickly I mean Mark was Mark left the club I think the decision was taken on Monday night that that Mark was going to leave the club it was announced on Tuesday morning and then by Wednesday afternoon Paul Buckle was in the job. So real haste I think the, the fact was that the, the what the club didn't want, they didn't want that, that hiatus, they didn't want that sort of, you know, caretaker time, if you know what I mean. That you get at other clubs where it takes a week to ten days to get a new
1: manager in. Mark, we've seen Paul Buckles' first game in charge. He's done hmm. the press conferences and the interviews before the game, uh, after his appointment. What sort of first impression has he has he made in terms of the performance of the team and also just his, his general mannerisms and his, his outlook?
4: As far as the performance of the team goes, I mean, they looked what they are, really, which is a team with not much confidence at the moment. The first half, especially, they were quite... Uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of nerves about, you could tell, on the pitch there, and you know they wanted to impress, but it was almost as if, in some ways, they were always trying too hard to impress, and and they and it was a bit of a struggle. To be honest with you, Oxford should have won the game, and the only reason Oxford didn't win the game was because Trevor Carson in goal had a fantastic game and made one, especially one fantastic save from Callum O'Dowd when which he which it looked as if it was going in, and he managed to tip it tip it over and round the post. As for Paul Buck himself. People I've spoken to within the club, I've spoken to a couple of the players, and and you know, they've been impressed with him. He had apparently had one to one meetings with them all on Wednesday, and you know, sort of sort of try and get to know them a bit better and find it. He asked he asked them all what they what they thought their best position was. I know some of them is fairly obvious, I and mean, he's not going to play Trevor Carson up front or anything like that. But I think he just wanted to get a little bit out of them and find a little bit about them. So from what I'm told, I've had a couple in. a um, uh, you know, a couple of other people within the club—they've all said, you know, it's, it's been positive so far. His interview after the game—he said he was, you know, he was pleased with the resilience that the team put in—and that's true. The effort was there, but he'll be in no—he'll be under no illusions now, having seen Saturday about the task that he's got in front of me. If, if we'd gone out and won three nil on Saturday, it might have papered over the cracks a little bit. The fact that he went there and, and it, it wasn't great, and you know, we didn't put in a, a fantastic performance he will know now that there are areas of the team that he needs to look at.
0: Do you know how it's going to work in terms of, you know, is he, is he completely moving back to the UK now? Because he, he was living in America because his wife, mm, Rebecca Lowe, works for right. NBC out there. Um, has that been explained? Is he going to, you know, oh. is he... I'm kind of just slightly confused by that that situation. Yeah,
4: yeah, that's, uh, that's something that we haven't managed to quite get to the bottom of yet. And, um, not, you know, how often he's going to be jetting back and forth to uh, New York or whether he's going to be relying on Skype to... Uh, <laughs> keep in touch with uh, Mrs. Buckle Stroke Low or whatever whatever we have to call her. But um no that one hasn't quite been quite quite been explained. I mean he's apparently he's off watching a match tonight. Tomorrow he's gonna go and watch Dover, the RFA Cup opponents on Sunday. They're playing against Torquay, ironically enough, one of his old teams. So it does seem that he's throwing himself heart and soul into the job and apparently, I mean, from the interviews he said, you know, he said to his wife apparently, you know, I need to go and do this. I need to go and be a manager again. I want to go and be a manager again. And she said, OK, you go and do it. Fine. No problem at all. So, you know, it does seem to me that, uh, you know, he thought about this quite a lot because he apparently, the fact, how our board first came aware of the fact that he was possibly in the running and looking out for a manager's job was that he very nearly got the job at Burton
0: Albion apparently ah well he was working for an academy wasn't he out in New York like a football yeah. academy so yeah, he's obviously like that he's obviously decided that he wants to get back into management and this is the opportunity mm-hmm. um, you mentioned the Dover game on Sunday it's yeah. a bit of a, an an, anonym, an how do you say, anomaly in uh, Cheltenham's season so far the uh, the FA Cup yeah. uh, win over Swindon uh, yeah. 5-0 victory against a team second in League 1 at the minute yeah. um, and this is obviously a key game because if you can get into that third round you could get the, the, the glamour tie away from home at the start of January
1: but Dover are in yeah, Good forms. It could be a tricky one, couldn't it?
4: Overall, yes, they've gone um, nine without defeat apparently after they win at Gateshead on Saturday. But it is there's there's no understating how important this game is for the club. Absolutely no understating it at all. Financially, it is huge really, because if we can get through it and as you say, get into the next round, not only does it help the you know, the club financially with Maybe cutting down on the loss that they'll make at the end of the year because they will make a loss, but also going forward for Paul himself into January, it will um, sort of define really how much money he'll have to be able to make the changes he wants to make to the squad. And so it is a massive game, but it won't be easy in any way, shape, or form because we know that Dover are going to come. They're going to they're going to play probably five at the back. They're going to be strong. They're, they're a big, tough, physical team and. As you said, they're they're on a decent run. Especially, I mean, that about winning Gates yeah, it was decent, not many teams
1: go up there and win. As you mentioned earlier, Cheltenham are a team that in the recent past have been up in the playoffs, going back a little bit further uh, than yeah. that. Mark Mark Yates himself captained them to, to promotion from this division. Yes, he did. And, you know, so what's it? Is the ambition, you know, this season to be pushing up towards the playoffs, or is it kind of Paul Buckle, do you think, will just accept mid table, kind of, and, you know, going forward next season will be the, the time to really go for it? I mean, is the ambition, as a club for Cheltenham to be a League One team and to push on or do you think kind of League Two is their sort of level?
4: I think um, as far as budget and crowds go I would say League Two is about their level but there's always the ambition there the chairman the chairman always Paul Baker he always says when he's asked the question you know, where do you see Cheltenham in three years time where do you see Cheltenham in five years time his answer is always consolidating ourselves in League One so the ambition from the club as a whole is there but it's just whether it is achievable on the budget that Cheltenham have got and on the crowds that they're getting because that is that is the sort of downside of it I mean Cheltenham can't go out can't really they can't shop at Harrods uh, quite a lot of the time like some League Two clubs can often they're sort of Snapping around, and looking for bargains, looking for young players to try and bring on, looking for the odd decent loan signing here and there. I mean, we've had some decent loan signings in the past. I mean, we had Jack Butland in goal for goodness sake. I mean, that was one of the best loan signings <laughs> that we've ever had. We had Luke Garbutt, who just made his debut for Everton in the in the um, Europa League a few days ago, England under 21. So, Mark Yates was quite good at that in some ways, but then in other ways, he did try. He did over rely maybe on the. Uh, on the youth setup and oh, sorry, the loan setup, and that's something that I would like to see Paul Buckle try and shy away from if he can, if he can, because we've got some decent young players. I wouldn't mind seeing a few of them given a given a run out. But as I say, we the the ambition is still there. The ambition is still there at board level. I think to get the club into League One, and it's it's still quite tight. If Cheltenham can go on a decent run, if he can turn the form around, if Cheltenham go on a run like we saw York last season, they were twenty second at Christmas. And ended up in the playoffs. So, never say never. I think is the phrase.
1: And Mark, just one last question um, on on Mark Yates himself. I mean, there must hmm. have been a real sadness around the club, despite, as you said at the start, accepting that it was probably the right decision to make. This is a yeah. guy who was in charge for almost five years, one of the longest serving yeah. managers in the league. A hero as a player, played 230 games for the club between 1999 and 2004. Um, so, right. I'm sure. How will the fans look back at his uh, at his tenure as a manager?
4: Oh, I think um, I think overall, with with you know, the, they'll be pleased with the job he did. I mean, he came in. I mean, as you say, you, you're quite right about him as a player. He's a fantastic player for us. You know, ran through brick walls, central midfield. You know, hard as nails. Really put a shift in every every single time he he pulled the shirt on. And, and as a player, yeah, big favourite. And then as a manager. He came in at a tough time. Martin Allen, it was all complete... Well, that was a complete disaster for the club, really, the, the Martin Allen era. And we were in danger of going out of the football league. He stabilised the club to start with, which was... I mean, that squad that he inherited was very, very poor indeed. He stabilised the squad at the end of the 2009-10 uh, to 10 season when he took over. Then, again, had to stabilise it. And then nearly achieved what we thought what we really wanted to do 2011-12 but to be absolutely honest that season we should have gone on automatically because we were playing some fantastic stuff between about the end of September and the sort of the middle of January we were playing great stuff and then it just all dropped off a bit towards the end and I'm afraid as a manager he'll go down as a nearly man the man who nearly took Cheltenham up whereas you know you go back to Steve Cotterall absolute legend that Cheltenham took them up John Ward took them up, but uh, Mark, I'm afraid he will go down as a as a bit of a nearly man. With some good memories, though, from you know playing Tottenham away in the cup, playing Everton at home in the cup, playing um you know and getting to to Wembley and and the playoff final. So some good memories, but a bit of a nearly man overall.
0: That was Mark Halliwell, author of the blog Cheltenham Town Chatter, and also co-commentator on BBC Radio Gloucestershire, talking to. Uh, myself and DC a little earlier on. And it's time to kind of just have a look at what's been going on the last couple of weeks in the Football League. We'll start in League Two, actually, considering we just touched on Cheltenham. Uh, They're not the only club to have changed manager because Paul Cox has left Mansfield by mutual consent after three and a half years in charge. His departure came two days after they were held 1-1 by Concord Rangers, from non-league in the FA Cup, a team I've never heard of in my life. Um, He led them to promotion back to the Football League in 2013. After a five-year absence, they were 11th in League Two last season. And a 33-year-old Adam Murray player is in caretaker charge. It's funny, isn't it, when these teams come up from the conference, like it can only take one or two years and suddenly uh, the bar has been raised. And uh, if you don't quite meet that standard, um, so much for
1: sentiment. Out you go. Absolutely, because I think every club in League Two, uh, especially the ones that are newly promoted, know how difficult it is to get out of the conference. Um, you know, you see teams go down and don't come up for a long time. So all of a sudden, that extra level of pressure is there. And you know, unfortunately for Paul Cox, that's what's done for him.
0: We'll have to wait and see who takes that job over the next few weeks. Uh, top of the tree in League 2, Wickham 4-1 win at Harlepool at the weekend. Amazing, really. They're top after 19 games, bearing in mind what happened to them last season. Uh, Hartlepool. This situation looks grim. Jeff Stelling gets uh, increasingly more depressed Mm. uh, because they're six points off safety. And, um, well, they're looking big, big trouble. They've got a big game on Friday, though, against Blythe Spartans. So they win that live on BBC2 in the FA Cup. That can maybe inject a bit of life uh, back into their season. At the other end, uh, obviously, Tranmere, big win for them against Pompey as well, uh, down the bottom. At the other end, at the top, it is um, Luton, Shrewsbury and Southend, who are hot on the heels of Wickham. Um, We uh, lost 2-0 at home to Dagenham. The weekend, um, we never bloody beat Dagenham ever. I've had two home games against Newport and uh, Dagenham two weeks running. Two games we needed to get that, that imperious
1: home record. Mm. What's so happened? on
0: apart. Well, you know the away form was bad, and we needed you know two winnable home games. It's all gone wrong at home. Too much tinkering, I think. You know, changing another tink- new
1: goalkeeper at the weekend was it? Yeah,
0: it was back to the old one. Yeah, yeah. Scott Light has gone back to Rob, yeah. and uh, ironically they had a massive goalkeeping error at the weekend as well yeah. Um, but yeah no uh, too much tinkering I think and I don't know we're really struggling at the minute I still think if we can get back to how we were before the 5-0 defeat at Shreesbury, uh then uh, I still think we'll, we'll come good but yeah, we need a win. Um, we've got a big game against Luton in the FA Cup at the weekend. And obviously, they're flying, so that's going to be difficult. And um, we should mention a couple of goals as well. Quesi uh, Appia, the Cambridge against AFC Wimbledon, actually, that one in particular, because that was an absolutely beautiful chip. And a, a nod to Exeter as well. I know we can't mention all the teams, but eight wins in 12 for them. They've really turned things around at the minute, and they're doing really well. So well done to Portisdale, everyone there. Into League One, 3 0 win for Bristol City at Peterborough on Friday night. Very, very impressive, Luke Indeed. Freeman. A couple of uh, beautiful goals, a good response to -to back-to-back defeats. Uh, Swindon, four straight wins there in second. They beat Fleetwood 1-0 and Preston have bounced back as well. Back-to-back wins after their losses a couple of weeks ago. They're one point
1: behind in third. Well, it's really tightened up at the top, isn't it? Obviously, with Swindon and Preston both beating Bristol City in the last couple of weeks. Um, what once was, was a, a, a healthy lead starting to grow for Bristol City is now down to two points and as I'm sure you were about to mention <laughs> yeah. have a look at MK well, Dons. I was about to say, check out th- their games in hand as yeah. well two games in hand and they beat Colchester
0: 6-0 the top scorers in League 1 best goal difference and um, yeah that man Deli Ellie scored again didn't he?
1: An absolute beauty. think for Benekophobe as well. Mm,
0: looking good. Maybe this is the finally of the year.
1: Well, it's going well for them. And they, as you say, they've got those games in hand. Um, and they're right behind them in terms of the points. So they've got the momentum's with them. They need to take advantage. You are uh, going to have a drink with Carl Robinson at the Football
0: League Awards again this year. You <laughs> knew was I was going to come back, man,
1: I'm not sure I will this year. Um,
0: down the bottom, seven defeats in ten for Yeovil. They're in the bottom four with Crewe, Colchester, and Scunthorpe, who picked up a good win at the weekend. 2 1 at Barnsley. Leighton Orient, they're having a rightmare this mm-hmm. season, aren't they? So close to promotional like penalty shootout at Wembley. And just of the drop zone and only one win in the last 10 games for Gillingham so the pressure is mounting on Peter Taylor there as well uh, in the championship well we're going to start with Malky Mackay haven't we um, he's uh, in at Wigan I think a draw drawn a defeat in his first two games Dave Whelan's been charged by the FA he's got until Friday to respond to the charge his statements were abusive and, uh, and or insulting and or constituting proper conduct and bring the game into disrepute these statements about Chinese people and kind of all various things wasn't he have to about to David Con yeah. Jewish people as well uh, I don't really reflect reflect very well on the club no. that whole situation well, it's a shame because Wigan are one of those
1: clubs that everyone likes to like basically well no one comes out of it with any credit the whole situation has been managed appallingly you, know, you should never regardless of just looking at it from a purely sort of from the process point of view whether or not whether you think Malky Mackay should be given another chance or not Wigan shouldn't have have employed him while he was still being investigated because it leaves themselves open to, to this situation. I mean, the FA as well. Why has it taking them so long to deal with this situation? They've they've not helped anything. They've not helped the situation with the the slowness and the, the lethargy that they seem to have taken in terms of investigating this situation. Now now they've got another investigation on their hands with with Wheelan. They shouldn't have have appointed Malky Mokai because it just allows this culture. That is clearly rife within the game. And this is an example that's come out, but I'm, um, you know, I've seen plenty, we've seen examples in the past, you know, the Keys and Grey saga, and there's been plenty of examples of, of this sort of homophobic, misogynistic, uh, sort of discriminatory culture that does exist in the game. It's been in there for decades, and that's the real problem it's the culture, it's not necessarily the individuals. I don't think that these people are really horrible, I don't think they're really vicious, evil, racists. No. Or whatever you know sexists and, and and homophobe people, I just think they don't know any better That you know, they should know better because they're grown men and they live in the twenty first century and it's it's not acceptable, but it's all they've ever known and it's and nothing is done to educate or to try and, you know, not, not enough is done. There are organisations that try and do some very good work to change the, the situation, but it's very difficult to change the culture and I don't think it has been changed and until the culture is changed, you'll go on having this situation and, you know, for Wigan to appoint a manager, it just sends the complete wrong message to, to anyone in the whole game that, that you can do these things and, and it's fine. But then on the flip side, to play devil's advocate, you know, Malky Mackay may well say, well, these are private communications and that's the difficulty the FA have got as well. Can they do someone for Sending private messages, even if they were on a work phone.
0: Hmm. Well, it's the same the same way that the Keys and Gray conversations at the Wolves Liverpool game were off air, weren't they? <clears> and it, you know, it, there's well, all once the round, saying,
1: well, once a cat's out of the bag. Yeah, you know, y- y- you've got to do something. Will he resign? Do you think Whelan He said he would if they. <sighs> well, he'll have to if he wants to stick by his words. But he won't. Given the character of the man and you know all the outbursts he's come out with in the past, you wouldn't be surprised if he did a U-turn. No. Um. Speaking of Despicable
0: Acts, do you see that dive in the Leeds Derby game at the weekend?
1: Oh, ridiculous! <laughs> so, I mean, you see, I posted this thing on. Twitter today. That's exactly, exactly what I do. When you you go into the go into the toilet at night or something, like, or getting up in the morning, and you just you're a bit sluggish, and you just stub your toe on the corner of the door, <laughs> down like that, straight away, rolling around. It was absolutely incredible. After you after you think he stopped rolling after the initial t- two or three rolls, he sort of jumps up like a salmon. Yeah, like, it does almost as think... like the worm.
0: <laughs> it's ridiculous. If you haven't seen it, we've, we've it. retweeted it. Uh, Wagyu podcast on Twitter. Um, Adrian, the Leeds player, great win for Leeds. So 2-0 against Derby. Bad day for them. Uh, up at the top, Bournemouth threw away two points against Mill. Brentford keep going though their best run in the second tier since 1938 they won five games in a row they beat Wolves 4-0 at Griffin Park and they're up to third four straight defeats for, for Wolves Brentford flying um, who else Middlesbrough they drew one with Blackburn one of the the saves of the season in that game uh, from uh, Simon Eastwood from uh, Vossen unbelievable yeah, save I
1: mean, uh, and I mean, Karanka was furious at the yeah. end of the game I mean, well, he got he sent quite off rightly, he, he quite rightly ridiculous decision yeah, but Millersburg had enough chance that they should have won that game but it was a foul wasn't it on the keeper definitely yes. two fouls there was a foul on the defender uh, at the back post and the keeper was fouled as well quite clearly um, and so, yeah, he was rightly rightly annoyed. New manager... Because they were second as well until that. They point? were, yeah. yeah.
0: New manager news. Um, uh, five wins in eight for Russell Slade at Cardiff. Mm. Um, uh, more, don't I know it. <laughs> another win for uh, Neil Lennon at Bolton, 1-0 against Huddersfield. And three wins and two draws for Gary Rout in his first five games. Uh, that home record, they won two home games out of 26. He's won two out of two. <laughs> um, so maybe Lee Clark was part of the problem, um, as Birmingham fans were saying, after all. Uh, Nigel Atkins has joined Twitter. That's I saw nothing, that you showed nothing. me that last night isn't brilliant he's, Fantastic. He's some, is that him no <laughs> yeah. quote along the lines of uh, "You know, I, um, I'm a forward thinking manager and everyone's on Twitter so I wanted to see what it's about and he posted a tweet
1: on Sunday morning of him on he, his laptop he is the a forward thinking manager but re- he is one of the, the most boring managers <laughs> in terms of his post match interviews not necessarily in his delivery but the content of what he says he gives you absolutely nothing <laughs> all he does is just basically verbal match reports at the end of every game he, he's, a, he's a master at it he he doesn't. he's never drawn on any questions by journalists <laughs> after games. So we'll see whether he has actually anything interesting to say on Twitter. That was
0: my phone, by the way, not yours. I've just realised, sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, booze at the final whistle at Carra Road for Norwich, who are plummeting down the table fast. They brought in Mike mm. Phelan, Fergie's excellent two. identical two. goals that they conceded yeah. to Reading as well, pretty much, wasn't it? it was Mike Phelan, the Norwich player, come in and is the assistant manager to Neil Adams. So uh, they are, well, I'm just looking at the table, they're down in 11th at the minute and we should mention Adam Federici, uh, the Reading goalkeeper, great tribute, to the Australian yes. cricketer Phil Hughes when he yes. put, down, put out his bat before the game there. Right, okie dokie, this is all you've been waiting for. You wanted us to fly through that because it's competition time to give away.
1: Firstly, what have we got and thanks to whom? Well, thanks to the good people at Sports Interactive, the creators of football of the Football Manager series. We've got three copies of Football Manager 2015 to
0: give away. OK, so if you want to enter, listen up. This is how you do it. You go to wearegoingup.co.uk slash contact. That's wearegoingup.co.uk slash contact. You fill in the form there, just stick Football Manager Competition in the subject line and in the box below, send us your answer. If you get it right, you're going to a random draw to win one of three copies of Football Manager 2015 just in time for Christmas. We'll do the draw on the next show. Um, I'm up north next week, so it'll probably be in two weeks' time so you've got two weeks to enter Uh, that address you need to go to again We up.co.uk slash contact just fill in the form there put football manager competition in the subject line and answer the following question
1: David Cameron Walker of the 24 managers of teams in the championship how many have also played for the teams that they currently manage one more time that question again so basically how many managers in the championship have played for the teams that they're currently in charge of there you go so let us know
0: the number and the names do we want both well, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay we do. Or it just guessing? Yeah, okay. I suppose you could guess. It, um, yeah. I want to know. We want the numbers and the names, please. We are going up.co.uk slash contact. Fill in the form yeah, there. You work hard for your. Yes, and uh, you'll be in the drawer if you get it right to win Football Manager 2015 in two weeks' time. Uh, Another free stuff news. Remember to hit up audible.co.uk slash going up right now and you can take advantage of a very special free one month trial offer that allows you to download an audiobook of your choice for free. Go there, click get my free audiobook. And then the audio book will be yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel before the 30 days are up. Simple as that. So if you listen to us plug this and you've never actually done it, why not do it? Audible.co.uk slash going up. And a reminder as well, thanks to the good people at Paddy Power. Uh, We can offer you a brilliant um, sort of special money back offer. Because if you go to wearegoingup.co.uk slash Paddy Power and uh, set up a new account, Better Fiverr, you get a 20 quid free bet but it's really important you do sign up at that particular URL we are going upcouk Power, to so follow the link from there do you have much joy at the weekend betting
1: wise no i did i did a different bet this week i followed uh, some of the football league tips from marco hare all right um and friend of the show well one of them came, he had three tips, and there were three games where it was um, over 2.5 and both teams to score. Yeah. And I trebled them up, so I did all, all three right. as a treble and didn't come in. But one of them, or one of the three did come in, so I suppose if you're doing it single, his tip would have worked. But I was trying to get a bit more money, and obviously. No, As ever failed, failed as yeah. per usual maybe you'll have more joy if you go uh, to that
0: URL uh, we are going up .co.uk slash Paddy Power right so we're busy working on this special thing for Christmas we'll be back with another show I think it's going to be the week after next unless something massive happens in the next week uh, who have you got the
1: weekend I think it's FA Cup second round so we've got we're, Luton well we've got Fulham on Friday night away at Craven Cottage will you be uh, there we'll be there yes we, we need a win, no doubt about it. Well, let's see if
0: you are as cold as the last time you were there when we <laughs> went to the Blackpool game a few weeks ago. Uh, that's it. The website is wearegoingup.co.uk. If you want to get in touch, you can get in touch through, the, uh, through there. And the Twitter is at WAGU Podcast. Enjoy your advent calendars. We'll speak to you next time on We Are Going Up. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. <laughs>